Welcome to another episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, Brian LeSage. Today's guest is a very exciting one. Coming from the background in a Big Ten triple jump champion, earning a full scholarship at a D1 school, who initially didn't get that off the cusp or out the gate. She was able to rewrite that entire mindset and that story and now takes it forward into what she does on a day-to-day basis. Anna has been an inspiration to all those related in the mindset and athletic sides of sales and career development. She is an inspiring and motivational speaker that is very engaged and thrilling to listen to. So I have to say having her on this episode is an honor. And having the conversation with her is even more. It's been a true honor getting to know Anna. And I have to say, I think each and every one of you are really going to get something from this episode. Let's get into this episode. Anna, so good to have you on the show. Really excited to have you here. Uh, Anybody that doesn't know anything about you, you have a background in being in a D1 athlete, and we'll touch into that. And really excited to hear the stories and what you gained through that. Uh, Now you're in the transition of doing digital media with sports, and that's really interesting to be able to bridge that gap. So we're definitely interested in that. But I first off want to say thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I'm really excited to be here and I'm excited to to kick it off for today. So Yeah. I always like to have the listeners gain some insight into who my guests are from from the childhood point of view. And my favorite question to ask my guests to kind of have the icebreaker is what kind of child was Anna on the playground? Who were you as a kid? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I feel like the athlete background kind of says it all, right? Like definitely (laughs) doing as much activity as I can, whether that's on the basketball courts, soccer fields, even though I hated soccer, just running around was fine. Um, Yeah, I actually, (laughs) that's a great question. I actually broke my ankle from jumping off the top of the playground. So I think that says it all. A little bit of a risk taker, uh, not really thinking too much before just diving right in. And uh, yeah, so that was my first bone I broke. Luckily, the only bone I've ever broken, but that was uh, how it started and hopefully where it ended. So, Yeah. Wow. That's hilarious <laughs> to just hear that now. You know, it's funny to see people as adults and then reflecting back on how they were as kids. And you can kind of see these underlying characteristics, like you said, an athlete, an achiever, somebody that wants to push themselves in that and trying to become who you were as a child, as Anna developed and grew, what were your outlets? I know sports was a big one. Did you have mm-hmm. any other ones? Yeah, it's funny because I think I've definitely started to realize like you almost you gravitate away from yourself as a child and what you lit you up and then you kind of find your way back or that's the goal. Hopefully you do. Um, and it's funny you say that because I was a huge reader growing up. I loved reading. I loved journaling or diarying back there, back then, right? Like you had a diary to write down your day. So I loved doing that stuff. And then there was a period where I uh, kind of lost touch of that. And maybe school kind of, I don't want to say ruined it for you, but when they're saying, you know, write homework and read boring textbooks, it kind of, you lose your passion around it almost, or that's where your, your new interests have to lie essentially. So um, yeah, I kind of took a pause pretty much my entire grade school, middle school, high school, 
um, I guess grade school, I read and loved it, but um, definitely college, right? Like reading those boring textbooks, those dense textbooks was not fun. So, um, but now I make it such a priority to do both. And it's actually what helps me process things, right? Reading helps open my mind to see new perspectives, um, have a new open mind around other people's experiences. And then journaling helps me process my own, right? Like, so I can learn through others from reading and I can learn through myself from journaling. And it's two things that I make an imperative part. Um, I try to read every day and at least journal once a week where I just kind of go over what had happened in the last week and maybe picking up on any patterns of, of mine and looking back on those is, is super helpful too. So it's interesting. I'm using these two tools that I really love to do for fun as a child and am now doing um, for fun, but also just for overall growth in myself. So, and I just now realized this when you said that. So I just kind of process that in my mind. So I love it. Yeah, that's so true. And it's 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 exciting to see that see you, yourself. And as we grow and evolve, and like you said, we come back to finding that inner child again that we've lost along the way and getting back to it. So how I don't want to get ahead of it, but how was the part and trying to find journaling when you're a child or diarying as we would call it, or maybe even reading books. Was that just something you were drawn to or did somebody say, Hey, you should try this? Yeah. So my mom and my grandma, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of books at their house. They always had books. My mom was, you could always find her outside on the porch, book in hand, sunflower seeds in the other. She just loved it. And so I really grew up to love it through her, you know, taking me to the library, taking me to use bookstores to get those like Judy Bloom books and all those. Mm -hmm. Any girl my age knows exactly what I'm talking about, probably. So getting all of those books and reading those. So I fell in love with like the fiction part of it um, through through my mom. Absolutely, I would say. So it's kind of where it cemented and started. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And it kind of it connects it to the next question I really have. And it's, it's getting into I know we all have them. I have my own through growing up influential people in my life that really molded me into being the person I am today. Who were those for you? Maybe there were your mother and your grandmother, but who were they? Yeah, it's it's funny because this question is tough for me. I, I Everyone has like a go-to maybe mm-hmm. influential figure or a celebrity or somebody in their life. And I just, I think... I haven't tended to like gravitate towards just one. It's like I get a little bit of from everyone, mom, dad, my mom gives me a completely different perspective on life than my dad does. Right. Like I go to them for completely different things. Same thing for like grandparents. Um, but, and I guess we'll, we'll probably naturally lead into that. But if I had to like one person that just popped into my mind when you'd said that, and usually I think that's your subconscious kind of telling you or directing you towards probably what is real. Um, I would say for sure my, my college track coach, and it's interesting because he he was anyone who knows him, he's a little tough. I mean, he's been doing it for forever. He's kind of that tough love. And I'm actually like the opposite of that. I am positive reinforcement. Let's go. Um, but I think at that time period in my life, being a young 18 year old, 19 year old going to, you know, your early 20s when you're still trying to like figure it out, I, I needed his I don't want to say like his hard discipline in a sense to kind of, I feel like it's molded me to how I am today. While I might have a different outlook than him, I think he definitely was a presence in my life that taught me the skills that I'm using today. Right. So um, that's, that's what really sticks out. But honestly, even today, like friends, family, like I, I just try to have an open mind and be like, okay, what is this person influencing today in me? And I'm, 
I try to, uh, I guess, look into that a little bit more and not just have like one set person. No, I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. And just thinking about everybody can give me something and I can always learn something from someone. And that is a very open-minded approach in that regard. Was that something that you developed as a child or did you learn this later in life? How did you begin to see that you could gain things from everyone around you? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest amount of growth I've had around that has been within the last two to three years. Um, I think I've been inching along and you discover that. I think like your your 20s are kind of the self-discovery period in a sense. And it's like, man, how I was when I was early 20s compared to late 20s is a completely different Anna. Um, but I would say I started taking more of the initiative within the last few years. So for point of reference, I'm 30. So right around like 27 to 30 is kind of when I started like opening my mind. And truthfully, that did come from reading. And that's why I am such a full supporter of reading. And I'm not talking, I mean, listen to a book. I I understand people are busy, like you still get the same perspective, but there's nothing like reading a book because you're you're able to really be present with it. You're not multitasking. You're also like seeing the words on the page. You're seeing, learning almost how to write as you're reading. Um, but I think just like gaining perspectives from different books just has allowed my mind to open up, right? Like if you're not reading and you're not consuming something outside of your inner circle, then you're just kind of staying within that inner circle of thoughts and feelings and beliefs based on who you're interacting with the most. So that's why I think I can notice the, I started reading a little bit more and that's probably when I started being more open-minded to other people and not, not being a know-it-all, if you will. It's almost mm -hmm. funny. It's like the more you learn, the more you learn to not be a know-it-all, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's weird. You'd think that you would know more, but in reality, you're learning that you don't know more. So mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It's like, as soon as you expose yourself to a mastery level of stuff and content, you're like, I don't know anything. Exactly. <laughs> so that's a fascinating way to think about that. And it stems with curiosity. Did you have curiosity as a kid? Was this something that you were just always wanting to figure things out? Yeah. Yeah. I would say I definitely was always asking questions. I think most kids do. And it's a shame that we kind of shut that down more. It's I, I think we're learning more to, to allow kids the space to ask because we want to keep that because that's how you learn and grow. Um, I would say one thing that I, you saying that, that like triggered in my mind is I was just thinking about, I was always like, if you ever lost something as a kid or, or just even now, and you're like, I need to find this. And then you look all day until you find it. Like that was me. Like I would be, I would literally look for the thing until it was found because it would bother me so much if it wasn't. So, and that was just an object, but kind of when you like tie it into like life and mindset, it could be similarly, right? Like just searching and, and going after that thing, whether it's an achievement or um, something you want to learn, it's kind of the same thing. I kind of have that mindset of like focus, like I need to find this. Um, otherwise, it'll just be like nagging on me in my mind, if not. So yeah, you can definitely tie that. And sometimes it can tie itself in a negative way, right? Mm -hmm. You can, it depends on the, the focus point. And that's what it seems like you've learned to do with your mind and, and involving that. And I want to know, I want to take the steps forward through time, if you will, to getting into being an athlete and becoming a competitive athlete. How was that for you? And what were you thinking going through that? Yeah. So I 
Thankfully from my parents, I know some parents are super hard on their kids uh, growing up with athletics. My Both of my parents were so supportive. I was actually the one that was hardest on myself when I would lose. Like my mom would be like, get it together. Like, come on, it's not that big of a deal. Like it's not the end of the world. She was very, very supportive. Um, so was my dad. So like growing up doing athletics was very fun for me. And that's, that's what I would hope for most. Um, that's how it starts, right? Like kids get involved in athletics because it's fun. It first starts with fun. So, um, thankfully there was not a lot of external pressure from, you know, coaches, friends, family. Um, I was able to kind of naturally progress and find my, my niche, if you will, which is track and field and jumping. So, um, and also a little bit mixed with like having a natural talent at it, um, in comparison to my peers. So I think it made it easier for it to be fun because right when you're winning a lot, things are fun. Um, so back when I was younger, it it wasn't as tough on me where I, I would say, the real wake up call um, for me would have been, yeah, making that transition from high school into college. And then from there, that's when I felt like external pressures really started, you know, loading up a little bit more. You're competing at a very, very high level. You're competing with guaranteed 90% people are better than you unless you're some of the best of the best, right? Like going from winning all the time to all of a sudden being the bottom of the barrel, having a coach that truthfully isn't going to invest as much time in you as your previous coaches did. So so that was a, a real wake-up call and, and a real identity crisis, I would say, for me. Um, just kind of, you know, going from being good and always being supported and always winning to all of a sudden being almost the exact opposite of that. Like, that's truthfully um, where one of the hardest points in my life, but also looking back on it, it set the stage and taught me so much to how I approach and see life now and embracing all of that and all of those failures and losses, if you will, you know? So um, it's, that was a definitely a huge, huge shift for me, although I didn't realize realize it at the time. And we hardly ever do realize it at the time. It's usually looking back later, which is why journaling is so great too. So (laughs) yeah, it's true. And I I have to imagine just as I imagine going through those steps as you went and figuring that out and getting into that, that shift of you're not realizing that you're going through this shift during the shift, right? This is happening though being a D one athlete and getting into those that might not know your story, elaborate into that. And what, what was your journey like getting into and trying to become a D one athlete? Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Buckle up for this one. I'll try to, sometimes I'm a, I have a lot of words. I'll try to be as concise and possible with this uh, journey. So yeah. So I, I did a little bit of backstory where I uh, naturally was gifted at the triple jump, which is a really weird thing to be gifted at, but I will take it if that's going to be the thing. So growing up in the majority of my middle school, high school career, I very rarely did I lose. I think I could count on one hand, maybe a little bit into the second hand, how many times I'd lost in my total career. Um, and when I did lose, I was a terrible loser, right? Like it was like, I'm talking tears, like what, like just throwing a, an absolute brat fit, like, and looking back on it now, I'm like, Oh my God. So, so, but like I said, just like being so used to winning and getting that words of affirmation. And it's funny. I mean, I don't want to segue off, but like my love language, for example, is words of affirmation. And I would be I could almost bet money that the majority of like high performing athletes, that would be that their, their love language, if you will. Um, just hearing that, like, great job, you're doing well, like getting all the affirmation through words. So it's funny how like that kind of correlates as well. So that's what I had gotten pretty much my entire career. Um, and yeah, so I had this 
dream to go to a division one school to compete in track and field and, and continue my success. And I live in Lincoln, Nebraska, and our main school was the University of Nebraska, which is an, an incredible track program. Um, my coach, who I alluded to a little bit ago, very, very successful coach, had some of the most um, the most conference champions in his career, a ton of national champions, Olympians. So he and his event to coach was the jump. So he was kind of the the person to go to, the person that you're going to learn from. So I had it in my mind for me, freshman in high school, I'm going to get a full ride scholarship. I'm going to go to the University of Nebraska and I am going to be a badass and I'm going to win and continue my success. So you can imagine how my ego felt when I'm exploring college going into my senior year. I go do this amazing visit where I'm getting wined and dined by them. They're showing me all the events. And then I hear, we would love to have you on, but we're not going to offer you any money. So (laughs) you went from my dreams of having a full ride scholarship at the University of Nebraska is completely shattered in front of me. And while in my mind, I still knew I wanted to go, I had a very tough situation because I was getting scholarships from many other schools surrounding the area. I was getting letters daily from schools across the nation. Um, I was a good jumper in the state of Nebraska, which was willing to get me other places but the University of Nebraska, the the caliber of track program that they were, they are recruiting from, you know, overseas in Europe where kids are basically high jumping out of the womb down there. So they like have everything that they, they could need. So they're putting a lot of their money into top tiered world athletes. So a girl from Gretna, Nebraska, jumping 39 feet, although that was very good for Nebraska, was not good enough to be offered money then. So. I had this predicament where I could go with where I felt in my gut. I just knew my intuition was telling me this is my dream. This is what I believe in. This is where I want to go. Go to University of Nebraska, risk it, go in as not the top jumper, go in, no money, college is expensive, go in, not guaranteed to do well. Or I could go to all these other schools that were willing to bet on me. I would have been the best going in right away. I would have gotten money. Um, and it's almost like that, uh, ignorance is bliss. Cause like making that decision when you're older, you start to be more rational about it. Like thinking now, if I would have made it, I probably would have been like, yeah, I'm going to go where I get money. Whereas 17 years old, I was like, Nope, I wanted to go to Nebraska. That's what I want to do. But like, I had that belief in myself, right? Like I knew that that was my dream. And that's the thing that we lose as kids. Like we have a dream and we fully believe it when we're younger and somewhere along the way we lose that. But so like back then I just knew like that was what I wanted to do. So it was a tough summer. Um, I was steadfast on wanting to go. Um, I actually ended up signing with another college. I won't get into that, but I had to um, eventually back out of that last minute because I just fought, fought, fought tooth and nail with my family. I want to go here. This is where I want to go. And then finally, I my dad love him so much. He was in my corner. He's like, listen, I, I would love for you to go too. Like, I think he was one of the few at that time who saw the passion I had and the belief. And I think he, he just had that steadfast, like that steadfast belief in me as well, which I think I would say the most important thing that we can have as humans is belief in ourselves. But man, when you have at least one other person that believes in you, that I believe that's like the most amazing, you know, thing in the world. And once you have that, it, it feels much more supported. So and then finally, my mom gave in and she was like, all right, like, go ahead. And uh, so I made the decision. I signed with Nebraska for no money. 
And within two weeks, I dislocated my shoulder and I was out for the entire year. So it was tough. Um, it was tough. I started doubting myself. We talk about that self-doubt. Um, you start wondering, did I make the wrong decision? I'm 17, 18 years old, out of my element in this school with all these girls that are better than me. I now can't compete. I now have to sit out an entire year. Um, so I went through like a real identity crisis in that time, as I had kind of alluded to earlier. And I ended up um, doing very poorly in school. And I, I never had that issue um, in high school. I wasn't like straight A student by any means, but I was, you know, I got good grades. I, I did what I needed to, whereas I went to college. I kind of had this like lost feeling. I started feeling self-doubt and I just started self-sabotaging essentially. And I stopped going to class. I uh, just, I truthfully, I didn't even show up for a final. Like, it's like crazy to me thinking back on that now. Like, like what were you doing? Like, you just want to shake your younger self. But like, I, I just, it's almost like I disassociated from the whole experience a little bit. And I was just like, I've been so used to doing well and competing. And then now all of a sudden I can't compete. Now I'm doubting my decisions. Um, I'm, you know, away from home. So it was kind of a spiral and almost truthfully almost failed at a college that first semester. And I remember the conversation I had with my coach, he called me and he's just like, what are you doing? Like, seriously, like, what are you doing is basically what he told me. And it was kind of that wake up call. My dad, same thing. My dad always says, he's like, that has been the most disappointed I've ever been in you. And he like me, him and I are so close. And I remember him just being like, what, what are we doing? Like, so it was, that was the trajectory um, in a sense. And then kind of those wake up calls. Um, also, you got to take the action yourself. I eventually put in the work. I competed with girls. I every day practiced alongside of them to get better. I kind of shifted my mindset around that, worked my butt off. And long story short, went to achieve a Big Ten championship, earned my full ride scholarship eventually, made it to nationals, solidified myself as one of the best jumpers on the team. But um if you would have asked anyone that when I had first started, they would have been like, Oh yeah, no chance she's gone. Right. So it was a lot of self-evaluation and reflection on my end. And, and truthfully thinking back on it now, it's like, I've learned a lot from that experience, but um, that's kind of my trajectory in a nutshell. So, yeah, no, that's an incredible story of just the trial, the determination, but then also the belief factor. And then it doesn't happen and come into fruition how we believe it will. And then we retract, we sabotage, right? We create, I'll see, I'll make, I'll make a self like fulfilling prophecy that this is not meant to be, right? I'll show you that it's not meant to be. And that is what actually happens. You talked and alluded to it earlier. And I'm curious on what your coach did at that point to give you what you said, tough love or discipline in that regard to push you out of that state of being and that mindset. What was it, the tools that he gave you or maybe even said to you? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, and he is a man of, of many words. I would say the affirmation does not come often, but um, I think that's just kind of ingrained in who he is. But I mean, I think that conversation just in general, um, that, that conversation calling me in and, and I truthfully thought he was going to kick me off the team. Like what, what did they have to lose? They had no money. You know what I mean? Like it would have been like, get out of here. Like you're wasting everyone's time, your time and our time. Cause we're not, and we haven't invested in you if you will. Um, so I thought when I had walked in there that I was for sure getting kicked off the team, let alone getting kicked out of college. So it was, it was a weird moment like that. I, I felt like he had, he, even he had seen something in me in that moment to give me another chance and to continue to work with me. And, um, I think for him, he was just, he is the definition of 
he shaped my discipline, I guess you would say. I mean, I know when you're an athlete, you're required to show up even when you don't want to. So that starts in, ingraining in you and you're required to do uncomfortable things that you don't want to. God, there were so many drills he had me doing with girls that were entirely better than me that, you know, like forced me to get out of my comfort zone to like kind of laugh at yourself when you're not doing well and to get better and to ask for help. So I think it wasn't like a all of a sudden like wake up like that conversation we had in his office for sure. But like, even from then on, I think just every day and practice and showing up, um, him putting me with girls that were better, him not coddling me, but obviously seeing something in me enough to like say the right things at the right time, keep me motivated. Um, also tough love. Like if I, you know, like he was, he was not afraid to tell you basically if you weren't doing shit sorry excuse my french but like i don't know he he would always just like like what are you doing like get over there like it's almost like i don't know when we would compete if we did something that was not like maybe to his standards you knew it right like so i'm just laughing thinking about it now because like i know that that's not the way that i like to operate but it's just like i think for me going from always being coddled and like, great job, great job, Anna, you're so good. You're so good to now somebody like you almost having to prove yourself to them and not only prove them yourself to them, prove yourself to yourself. I think that's just kind of where it was more less of like what he said and more of like how he coached and how his presence was, I would say. So sorry, that was yeah. like a no, you're good. No, <laughs> that's really good. No, I think it's, and I just kind of think about the discipline factor and then the coaching and, and partnership with girls that are performing higher caliber than you are, what that does to you. And like you said, it, it doesn't just, you're not proving yourself to him as a coach. Yes, you are, but you're, what you're really doing and what he was probably encouraging you to start to see is belief in yourself again, that you can and will be able to do that and find that ability to compete with these girls that are higher caliber and humility, right? At that vulnerability aspect, you broke all the walls at that and you had to, you were forced to, it was that or run away and you faced it head on. So, was it the support system that kind of pushed you or did you have journaling? What kind of made you say, I need, I need to, I need to force, I need to face this. Yeah. And I, I think it, it's just a matter of still having that belief in myself. Like I said, I just always go back to that. Um, I think even through all that, even though I had the self doubt and I of course had the moments of like, what are you doing? You made the wrong decision. There was still that in, intuition telling me that I was where I needed to be and that this is a part of it and that you'll get through it. But obviously taking action is important. So like it was just showing up and um, truthfully working with girls that were better than me and seeing myself succeed. Like I, I think there's that analogy of like you're, what is it? Like you're the five closest people to you. Like that's like kind of who you raise up to, you're only as high as like the five people that you're closest to essentially. Um, and that's something that I think you, what I love about today is like expanding your circle and finding new people that help raise the bar a little bit more. Um, so certainly starting to like showing up every day and practicing with girls that were better than me and then physically seeing those results manifest is motivation, right? Like I think that's usually what keeps us going, right? Is like seeing, the change, seeing the difference. So when I started jumping better, started feeling better, that was helpful. 
Um, so yeah, I think a lot of that was just cause yeah, I wasn't doing much like journaling or anything around that time. I think just having the support, my team was amazing. Like I am closest, like I'm still close with many girls on my team, like best, best friend. So I think having them going through it with me was, was also helpful because the thing with athletics is, uh, people look at athletes and be like, oh man, yeah, they love success. They succeed all the time. And while yes, absolutely. Like I think it is ingrained in them. I don't think people realize like athletes lose and fail so much more than they win and succeed. And I think that's where resilience is built in athletes because they understand that you are going to fail and lose so much more than you're going to win and succeed. With that being said, that's why it's important to celebrate the little wins, even if it's not definition of a win in other people's eyes, like it's not the Super Bowl, it's not the national championship, right? It's not the best sales rep on the team. Finding those little wins is what's going to keep you motivated. So like I said, showing up at practice, and if I beat a girl that usually beats me in a drill that we did the day before, that's a win to me, right? And that's Mm -hmm. what motivates me to keep me showing up and hopefully incrementally get better and better. So yeah, it's true. No, I think, and I, I like that part where you said athletes fail often, if not more than they succeed. Um, I always, I've written content on it before, but I always like to find the fact that Babe Ruth, right. He's known for having the most home runs, but he also leads the league in most strikeouts. So nobody realizes that the difference was, is that he kept going to the plate and kept swinging even when he did strike out even when he didn't have a good hitting streak. So that same exact thing with that athlete or that sales call or that whatever, fill in the blank, showing up. In that aspect of the athlete development, I know visualization is a huge part of it. Is there anything else that kind of helped you or is helping you even now that you're integrating from your athlete times as being a D1 athlete? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll hit on the the visualization and not only visualization, but f- film review, right? So <laughs> it's interesting. So yeah, visualization, I mean, you and I have had conversations around this and how important and it is. And, and essentially, everything is created twice, right? First in your mind, then in your reality. So for you to create something in your reality, it first needs to be created in your mind. You need to imagine, you need to envision what that looks like. You need to feel it as if it is it is and then essentially hopefully you know with action and consistent action that then visualized thought manifests into your reality same thing for athletes so when i would go to bed at night and our coaches would instill this into us envisioning like what is the perfect triple jump look like like in my mind i could see it perfectly i could see it perfectly now like i'm closing my eyes now and i could see it still and that's a matter of also um just helping your mind better understand it, I guess, like ingrain it into your subconscious mind. But on top of that, how do you know what perfect looks like? Um, sometimes you don't perfect. Obviously I hate that word. Actually. I hate that. I just said that, but like, what does it look like? That's where sometimes looking at external forces or self-reviewing is so important. So like journaling is self-reviewing. Um, I worked at a company called huddle in here in Nebraska and they are a sports software company. They're, they're very big throughout uh, the United States and the world. And it's a film review tool. And how I found out about it was 
from my track and field days. We would film ourselves at practice, film ourselves at meets. We would go into huddle and we would review that film. We could break it down moment by moment to see exactly like technique wise, what my jump looked like for me to be able to study um, and then review and then hopefully go back. And then I would watch other girls or other guys, how they jumped. I could see the differences, right? Like that's how you're starting to visualize what it could look like and then visualize it for yourself. So um, it's funny now, I, like I said, I, we're visualizing everything in our life. Like when we think about what we need to do in the next 10 minutes, we're already, when you're thinking about what you need to do, you're already in a sense visualizing it, right? So it's a huge part of what we're doing. And I think if people were able to do that more um, and really sit with it and really like slow down and think of things through, I think they would see things manifest a little bit better into their lives just because that belief um, or being able to see it before you do it, you're already a step ahead, essentially. So um, it's funny because I had used Huddle and then I uh, sold Huddle, which was amazing. Um, and now I'm at a, a company where um, like Gong is an example, but like Gong and Chorus, like film review tools for sales reps, essentially. Right. So it's kind of funny that I'm doing that now. I'm watching my gong calls back. I'm, I'm looking and seeing how I did there. It's almost like I'm, stu I'm studying film for my sales calls. So I, I make that correlation a little bit. And I like to visualize like how I think my sales calls are going to go. You're never going to know exactly how it is, but you want to visualize at least your controllables and how you would like to come off things you would like to say, um, what that would like to look like. So yeah, I think that's really powerful is the, I like to think of it as intentional visualization, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're intentionally creating what you want and it takes a steadfast and focused mind to truly visualize what you want, right? Because if the visualization is fully there, you're feeling it, like you said, you're seeing it in your mind and then you, you get those emotions, right? And those emotions are the driving factors that kind of push it outward, right? That excitement, that oh, I'm going to make a sale on this next call or I am going to next next time I do this triple jump, it's going to be a, a great, not perfect, right? But an excellent, maybe potentially triple jump. So that belief there is that push behind it. And then that intentional visualization is huge. And I like how you said self-review with the journaling. I've never heard of it called out or even re referenced in that way, but it is. You're right. You're, you're just reflecting on your day or whatever was going on. So that's super powerful. You were able to kind of move from being this athlete, getting into sales and coaching as well. And you said and mentioned it before that you, you incorporated a different type of coaching or even affirmation or a way you encourage people with positive reinforcement and such. How were you as a coach through all, all that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like how was I a coach to others or mm -hmm. how? Yes. Yeah. I, I think I've learned like I think our generation is learning anyways. Like I think a lot of our parents and our parents' parents, they have that tough love mentality, right? When while there's scenarios where it works, I just think I keep going back to that belief in yourself, right? Like if having belief in yourself, but then also coupled with belief from others is a very powerful combination. And don't get me wrong, people who have beliefs in themselves the ones that are good at shutting out the naysayers are, are the ones that, that do do well, but it's not everyone can do that. And when you're a person and the only person that believes in you is you and everyone around you is telling you no, no, or like being super critical, getting down, almost supporting that critical thought in your head, whether if you have critical thoughts, now the external world is supporting those thoughts. So then what are you going to do? You're going to be like, well, yeah, I guess I'm not good enough. Right. Whereas 
if you do have the belief in yourself and there are external critical factors, um, that's where I think some of the real power comes from. Obviously, that's why I think belief in yourself is the most important thing. But um, that's still tough, too, because you start feeling like you're crazy, right? Like you believe in something and you keep going and doing it. and But everyone's telling you, no, you start doubting yourself, whether you want to or not. So for me, knowing that and just seeing and if you look at every single successful person in this world, every single one of them has a different backstory, a different way that they were born, like raised a different way that they, you know, went through things. But you, if you like just watch documentaries or read about them or just learn about them, you, you see that they had that steadfast, like strong belief in themselves. And like we we're talking about just like consistent action every day, even through all of that. So when I think of positive reinforcement, when I know and see and seen for myself things like ways I've surprised myself and what I've achieved or seen what other people have surprised themselves and what they've achieved um, and knowing that anything truly is possible, wanting to ensure that I could be a support to somebody else, knowing how powerful that that belief in two people. Like I said, like if I didn't have my dad believe in me to go to Nebraska, I probably wouldn't have went. Right. I just needed that one. Just need that one person to like support my beliefs with me. So I don't care how crazy a person's belief is. I, I truly want to be there to support them. And it's not just me being like, yeah, I get after it. It's like, no, like you can do this. And I'm here to tell you that you can. Um, and a good a, an example of this is like the four minute mile, for example, right? Like people used to think that was like unachievable. There's no way it's physically impossible. You would die if you run under four minutes. And then the second somebody did it, multiple people after that hit that four minute mile. It was like right immediately after because they were able to see and believe that somebody else was able to do it. Somebody else believed that they can do it. And it then in turn allowed them to believe in themselves to do it. And you see it all the time with, uh, especially in like races, like marathon races, track and field records. Like it, it happens a lot where this rec longstanding record is not broken. It's feast impossible. And then when somebody does it, multiple people do after the fact. So that's like a perfect indirect example of like seeing somebody else do something and now having belief in yourself, like, Hey, if that person can do it, I can do it. So, so take that plus the belief you have, and then having somebody support your belief. Like I, I really think we would achieve so much more if, if we had all of those. So that's why I try to be as positive and people might say like, it's annoying, but I mean, I just, I know it to be true. So that's why I try to, to support where I can. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I, there's so much power there with the the aspect of if I see somebody else do it or I say I can see or follow the track, not the path completely right now, walking in their footsteps, but seeing in which the way they went, right? How did they do it and how did they go about that? And then having, like you said, somebody behind you or around you that's supporting you and believing in you as well. It's really, really impactful. And I think that is something that we should encourage people that are maybe struggling to find belief in themselves. Start with small beliefs, right? Start very, very small. There's a book, um, I think it's called The Speed of Trust. I can't remember who it's written by, but it talks about building trust quickly. And it's same thing with belief. And I'm seeing this actuality come to light here is where if you want to build trust quickly with other people, you have to first be able to be able to trust yourself. So same exact thing. If you want to be able to have belief in other people, then you need to first start believing in yourself and then you'll have other people believe in yourself as well. So again, you have to get back to that passion and getting into it. And you, 
for you is intrinsic, right? Is innate. It was like this belief internally. Those that might be struggling to find that belief, what words of wisdom would you potentially help or provide? Yeah. I mean, you honestly, you said it yourself and it's funny that you just brought that up because I, I feel like I've been seeing so much of that recently and it's, it's the, it always, it all starts with you, right? Like <laughs> to give out happiness, you have to have happiness, but also, um, in that be with that being said, I hate using the phrase fake it till you make it, but, but sometimes it's true. It's kind of like that, that wheel, that vicious wheel. It's like to be happy, like to be, to make others happy, you have to be happy. But sometimes in return, making others happy makes you happy. Right. So same thing, like sometimes having a lot of belief in somebody else, like you always have more belief in other people than you do yourself sometimes. So it's almost like if you can support as much as you can in other people and, and see the, the belief and willingness there, um, I would say sometimes that can come back around and you start feeling it for yourself. Um, but yeah, like, I think what you said, like just, just little things. And I think tracking progress is one of the most important things to that because if you're just going through your day and and I hate to like keep harping on journaling that wasn't even my intention of this this call but it's kind of coming around to that but it's like I have a list in my phone of any time something good happens that week so it can be the littlest thing like somebody like me achieving this like I got a I, I felt like I did good on this call I I went out and I I worked out two minutes longer than I wanted to. Like I keep track of those because those are the things that are going to remind you that, oh yeah, like I am doing things. I am achieving things. And I think we lose sight on tracking that. Um, I think we just assume that one day, like we're going to completely wake up and change. And that's why we're doing all these things. But in reality, like any big shift, if, shift, if you will, is from micro shifts before and it's little baby micro shifts of changes over time and that's why i think if you're able to like honor and acknowledge and celebrate those as i said that kind of goes back to like being an athlete you're going to lose and you're going to fail more than you win same thing in life you're going to fail all the time um i guess failure is what you interpret failure to be or what you define it to be but that's why it is so important to, to celebrate those successes and why i went to practice and I celebrated the little successes. Like if I ran one second faster in a 200 on a workout, like that doesn't matter in the big scheme of things, but it kind of does because doing that over time got me there and acknowledging that and celebrating that in myself, it kind of like feeling those good feelings when it happens, like it, it resonates the feeling with the thought, right? Like usually we, things stick with us longer when feeling is attached and that's how it resonates more with us. So if you can celebrate those things and I'm saying really sit and celebrate and be like, good job, Anna. Like, good job, Brian. Like, that was great that you did that today. Seems so dumb and little, but it, it truly does help. And I think building, as you said, little things over time is what's going to eventually prove to you the beliefs. And it's like, if you're not looking back on that or reflecting on those things, it's you're just basically they're happening and then you're letting them fall away and then you never go back to it. So of course, you're not going to think you're achieving things because you're never like taking the time to celebrate or reflect or evaluate the things you have achieved. So... Yeah, no, I think there's a there's a ton of power there, right? And just the, the people call it the gratitude, right? Being grateful. Sometimes that doesn't resonate with some people because they're like, yeah, that sounds too woo-woo or too soft. So how do I change that? Well, count your winning streaks, you know? Count how many times you did something and it just worked out, right? You, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, right? You're catching green lights. You got other people like Charlie Rocket that had the winning streaks. He was a guy that 
got sponsored by Nike. He was a big overweight guy, able to lose the poundage. And that was how he did it with the winning streaks is that these progressive incremental steps over a long period of time with really an intended goal, but not like a judgmental goal. Like if I don't make it, I'm a failure, but just like I am going to continue showing up over and over and over. So I think that, like you said, those are, those are wonderful, wonderful ways of just counting those, those winning streaks. And I like that phone idea. I've never done that. I should actually try to do that. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's all about your perspective, right? And I know you and I have spoken about this privately where it's just like, when you start looking for the good, when you actively search to look for the good and search for the wins, man, they're going to pop up a lot more than you ever thought. And I don't know if that's just because now you're being aware of those and you're actually seeking for them. Like seek and you will find, right? Like if you seek for all the good that's going to happen near your day, I guarantee you, you end in a list that you didn't even know possible. And like I said, it has to be little things too. Like it can't be like the big things like, oh, I'm thankful for my family, grateful for this, right? But if you're actively seeking for a reason to feel like you are a failure or to prove, it's like your your subconscious mind will find what supports your your thoughts and beliefs. So if you feel like I suck at everything, I'm not doing well, like I'm lazy, like you're going to find the evidence to support you in your life, essentially. And that's why I say perception is your reality. Uh, if I wanted to, I could literally switch my perspective right now to all negative if I wanted to, Brian. I guarantee I could find a million things <laughs> negative in the next hour if I wanted. You know, it's like that. It's literally yeah. what you seek, you will find. So, yeah, no, it's absolutely true. It's that's a great way of saying it is what you seek, what you find. It's the, it's what I like to call the law of familiarity. It's that aspect of we all experience it, or anybody that's maybe gotten a new car, or driven a car, a red car, and you're like, ah, they don't see many red cars. But once you hop into that red car, you see all the red cars around you. So it's that same thing, the law of familiarity. Once you look upon it and you look at it to look for it, you'll seek it, you'll find it, and then you'll make it clear in your life. Um, so that's it's so powerful, so powerful. I want to kind of transition into where you're at now and, and kind of seeing where you want to go. In that aspect of growing, you're on LinkedIn, you're creating followings, you're connecting with a ton of people all over. It's super exciting I've created content on myself, the podcast in itself, as well as another platform of virtual creation. Being a content creator, creating something new out of nothing is very exhausting and can be tiring. How do you do it? And what is your, what's your routine? What's your process? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely LinkedIn is a very interesting and highly rewarding platform. Obviously mm-hmm. it's like how we've connected. I've connected with so many people, but exactly what you said, like it, it can be exhausting in a sense. And there's those doubts that pop in your mind, like what am I? What am I doing this for? Like, what what is is this? Does this matter? Like, why? Um, and I think at the end of the day, I always come to, back to yes, it matters because I always said like, if I post something and I get one like, I've done my job. And even if I haven't done my like, I think I, I posted about this is like half the time I'm posting it's for myself. Like I'm processing these things I'm, I'm, I'm posting about, I'm needing the reminder that I'm posting about. So in reality, like, even if it's just posting for you, that that's great. But like, I think, I think you and I have both learned like the power of LinkedIn and how incredible we talk about that circle, right? Your, your, your five closest circle or people closest to you. Well, in reality, now we're in this remote environment, which I think we need connection more now than ever. And what I do think is beautiful about the remote connecting that we've we've had over the last few years is we have been able to take our little circle in our state or in our co-working space and we've expanded it literally 
across the world. Like I have talked to over 25 people in the last two months from different walks of life, different um, careers, different states, different countries. And it's been so immensely amazing to be able to connect with those people. And I think as humans, we want to connect. So I've really seen the power of LinkedIn, not just in my career, not just in my like overall knowledge and learning, not just in my own processing, but just like expanding my circle of people. And it's, it's been truly incredible. So I I do make a priority. I I do at least um, when I started, I did it, but like I do block off at least an hour of my day to fully just my job in that hour is to engage on LinkedIn, on other people's posts, on my own stuff that people are are commenting on and just, yeah, getting ideas from there. And I think um, posting wise, I think people get uncomfortable with the posting. Um, For me, I just have a, a note section on my phone And if I'm reading a book and I'm like, oh man, that's amazing. I'll write it down. Or if I'm outside going for a walk and I'm like inspired by something, I write it down. And so every morning I wake up and I have like a list of thoughts, essentially I've accumulated over the last few weeks. Like I have probably over a hundred things in my, my notes from just random little tidbits that I could turn into a post so that when I wake up in the morning, I just have to choose one and post about it. And then the rest of the hour is fully committed to like engaging with others and learning from others, which is the ultimate goal, I think, of LinkedIn. So, yeah, I think that's true. And I, that I think the biggest thing and from the people I've interviewed on the podcast as well of anybody that's been a content creator or wanting to start a business or do anything, it's just it's the same aspect. You're, you're having to create, you're having to come up with new ideas that are truly and honestly out of nowhere. And really, they're a thought that you're putting to work into action and bringing into reality. But the biggest thing that I've gained from just talking to other people is that they're open to all types of thoughts. No thought goes unturned, right? Every rock that they see, every thought comes in, they assess it. Is this what I want? Is this content? Could I create this into something later? And like you said, they have a note, they have a journal, they have a notepad, whatever. They jot it down and they revisit it later. Creativity, that's the thing. If anybody is trying to become creative or unlock their creativity, you're not going to sit down with a notepad and a pen and just jot a thousand ideas down all at once. It's just not going to happen. You'll burn yourself out. You need to live and then creation kind of just happens and that's the beauty and it's like inspiration from life. So it's really fascinating. Yeah, that you said it exactly right and it's like everything that people, the likelihood of what is being written or communicated has been thought by hundreds of people, thousands of people before, like nobody, very rarely do people have really truly an original thought, right? Like it's (laughs) somebody has had that thought somewhere. So like, I think people like get worried, like they feel like they can't post about it because it didn't directly come from them. But the beauty of creation is you're taking somebody's thought and perspective and applying it and experience it in your own thought and perspective and communicating that out. Um, And in return, like I said, like that might resonate with somebody else better than the original thought over here did. So like, that's where I wish I could tell people is like, it doesn't need to be anything groundbreaking or like earth shattering. It can simply be something you read in a book and you want to uh, relate it to your own experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's creation, exactly what you said. So yeah, no, it's true. And that just while you're saying it thinks makes me think of music, there's only a certain mo- amount of notes in music and we just how we organize those notes, create music and those same notes always exist. It's not again, anything new, same thing with colors, same exact thing. You just blend them in different ways and we get different colors of paintings and drawings and such. So same things with words, same things with other thoughts, same things with other feelings. So I absolutely agree. That's wholeheartedly, if anybody's trying to create, just 
don't plagiarize per se, but you know, right? Let your own funnel or um, filter it through your own life and, and see what comes out on the other side. That's super fascinating. We're coming to the tail end of the show and it's always, always so wonderful to chat and, and it's been a really great conversation. I like to close the conversation and my shows up with a couple questions. One of the first ones, you said you're a big book reader. Uh, I'm assuming you probably, if you're a big book reader, you gift books as well as gifts for, hey, you should read this. If not, maybe you think of a book that everybody should read. If so, what would that book be and why? Oh, man. there I have a list that if anyone wants to DM me, I'll give you a million. <laughs> but I think the, the most prominent ones I've read recently, I always kind of go back on that because I think it's relevant to like fresh in my mind. I really, really enjoyed the book Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Do, Joe Dispenza, which is eventually essentially us completely rewiring our thoughts and beliefs, right? Like it talks a lot about like visualization manifesting it into your world. And it talks a little bit about how like you're basically creating a version of yourself that you want to be five years from now, now. And I know you and I have talked about this before and it's like sitting down, brainstorming, what does the best version of Brian look like in five years? Like all of the, how do I treat people? What do I do every day? How do I look? How do I feel? What do I eat? Like you get so specific. You have this vision of yourself because five years is far enough in advance where anything seems possible, right? Like you, you don't have, you don't future trip too much about it. You're like, Oh, this is a nice daydream, but you start bringing that into your reality now, right? Like you're essentially like every little decision I make in my day now, you have to be aware, be like when you're like, oh, I don't really feel like working out today. Well, what would five years from now, Brian, do? Like that's kind of like your your angel on your shoulder, if you will, that kind of guides you so that those small decisions every day, as we said, those consistent small decisions eventually get you to that version. So that's kind of the backstory of how that works. There's a lot more in it that's amazing. Then there's one more I read on like the sales side of things. I know LinkedIn's big on sales. Um, he actually just finished it. He he just released it. Um, Andy Paul, he's has a big following here on LinkedIn. He's great. Um, it's called Sell Without Selling Out. And I, oh my God, just chef's kiss. It was so good because I, I think a lot of sales reps, especially me, I'm a very passive seller. I've been very relationship-based. I've been very, I'm not that salesy stigmatized salesperson. And he basically talks about how like he has had the most successful trajectory and sales career in his life by not selling out as you call it, like being that classic sales, pushy sales rep, like all of the ways that you can form connection, generosity, um, just those ways of connecting and selling people and doing it well, like really understanding their problem. And it was I would recommend that for for people for sure. It's a quick read. It's easy to digest. I just resonated so well for me because I was like, finally, someone gets it. Like I felt like I was not a good sales rep because I wasn't doing all the things that they tactically tell you to do. Right. So it was good. No, those are those are good books. I I haven't read. um, Well, I haven't read either of them, but I have Mm -hmm. read uh, Joe Dispeza. Right. I believe that's yeah, lessons. Think- yeah. Um, yeah. He's got some great books and I always like his connection to science and what's coming up and how we can really change and manifest our mindset and into a new ways. So mm-hmm. those are excellent books. Uh, I'm going to have to check both of them out and even the sales part. I'm not a big salesy person. Either. <laughs> I don't I don't, I don't like the sales feel. It feels gross. Well, that's exactly what he kind of disproves or like, you don't have to be that, which is amazing. It's like the people first mentality yeah. solving the problems. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that sells way more, right. And way oh, easier. Sure. 
naturally, if you will. All right. Last question. What excites you most about the future? Oh man. I think what excites me most about the future is it's kind of, I'm coming, you know, I just turned 30 and a lot of people, I think that freaks them out. I'm so excited. I always hear thirties are the best years of your life. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm just going to tell myself that. Right. So, um, honest, honestly, Brian, I think what excites me most about the future is because of how much I've learned and grown in the last few years. And like, like we talked about, just like my ability to shift my mindset and, and really understand like what believing in yourself means. I think I've, like I said, I've really discovered how far believing in yourself can get you and how your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs then like manifest into your world. And now that I feel like I've gotten that down to an art and a science, I've understood now more than ever, like you truthfully create your own reality, however you want that to look and and feel. And nothing truly is too big or small. It just comes down to like, are you willing to take the actions and suffer through the the inevitable failures? Mm -hmm. So I think understanding that process now and not feeling like life is happening to me, it's happening for me, right? Mm -hmm. That's what gets me excited. And knowing that like I truthfully, every day I wake up, I have a choice of how I want this day to go. And Mm -hmm. I don't have like this one big goal right now. I think I have like that five-year vision of myself, things I want to do, where I want to go. Like I think, but right now I'm really like getting more clarity around what that is now that I know that I have the tools within me to mm-hmm. make whatever I want to happen. And I think that's what gets me excited about the future. So, yeah, no, I definitely agree. That's, that's a wholeheartedly optimistic approach where we're seeing ourselves where we want to go, believing in where we want to go. And I think if anybody gains anything out of this, it's belief yeah. <laughs> journal and yep. get up, get out the reading. Right. So yep. it's always good chatting. And, uh, thank you so much again for coming on the show. It was, it was awesome talking with you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to to hearing more from you. So, And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset. I want to say if you're looking for any more information about Anna, be sure to head into the show notes. You'll find some information there. Additionally, you'll find information about my website and more of our previous episodes can be found on brianlesage.com. So be sure to head over there, follow, like, subscribe, do all of them. And uh, as always, stay curious, keep expanding.